Today on the pod, we're going to talk about it. You know it. That it. It chapter two. We're also going to be playing a game. It's going to be clown themed. Guess why we thought of that? Called Down to Clown. And finally, we're going to talk about the greatest movie about a mixtape that was never told. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk Filmy to Me. Hello, welcome to the Talk Filmy to Me podcast, the film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. John, my boy, how are you doing? I am very, very good. Uh, how are you, Flint? You had a good week? Ah, oh, it's been a manic week. I've done our first interview with an actual film director this week. Uh, I won't talk too much about that because we're agreeing the date when to drop that interview but it'll probably be in the next couple of weeks but that was really exciting uh, watched a few films i finished binge watching netflix dark crystal age of resistance absolutely loved it highly highly recommend it we'll probably do a feature or something about that we are in conversations with people that have worked on the film so uh, sorry should i say tv show so there might be something in that as well um but i found something out which blew my fucking mind john now i know you haven't you haven't seen a lot of these films other than obviously the muppets and stuff like that but basically around the same time just before the original dark crystal movie came out there was a film called labyrinth which john for the uninitiated is basically about david bowie stealing a child and stuffing his pants and thrusting it towards jennifer connelly anyway that's generally the gist of it in front of a bunch of puppets and they decided to use they they were so like brassic for money it took them like like years to make this film but um, they were so brassic for money that they just used one of the puppeteers um kids to be the baby in the film they were just like oh it's usually kid it's just it's just, yeah it's just a kid you don't need it it's, it's literally a toddler it doesn't speak yes or anything it's just a baby it's fine uh, that kid grew up to be one of the head puppeteers on the dark crystal tv show on netflix it's literally and there's this song that david bowie sings which is like you remind me of the babe the babe the babe of the power the power of voodoo you do yeah that brilliant song Check it out on Spotify, fucking classic. Um, he literally has become the baby with the power. And that has blew my fucking mind. Anyway, what have you been watching? <laughs> I have been watching The Boys. Uh, a little late to the party, halfway through the series. But, uh, yeah, really loving it. Uh, what I like, it's very easy to follow, isn't it? I mean, yeah. But it's enjoyable and it's just bingeable. I think Amazon Prime needed one like this, didn't it? I think it might have found yeah. a proper hit. Um, so, yeah. show, for the, you know, show of the year so far oh I don't know I'll have to think about that I can't, I'm not committing yet but I'm, I'm, right. I really want to see the rest of the series because everyone's absolutely raving about Homelander's performance and it's uh, it's been amazing so far uh, I'm just what episode number you in on I, th- I think I watched five last night Okay, so if I say... So this isn't a spoiler if you don't get it, and if you watch the show, you get it. Has the plane happened yet? Oh, yeah. Yes. How fucked up is that scene? Messed up. But, um... Yeah. (laughs) Completely messed up. That's what I kind of like about this show. It's like... Insane predicaments that are less insane in the sort of context of the show. Um... And the main dude, the uh, sort of average Joe guy, I think, is doing an incredible job as well. Yeah, but how much fun is Carl Urban having in that role? <laughs> he is loving life, man. He's, yeah, he's keeping things ticking along. 
You just well, isn't it just the invisible cunt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some great lines in it. You can tell the writers. I mean, sometimes you're like, oh, okay, you know, there's a line to describe a huge plot point that we're just going to gloss over because we haven't got time. Like, it's, get, it's <laughs> rushing through a plot with loads. But you don't mind because, you know, we haven't got time for that, man. Yeah, I, I love it. Season two already got commissioned before the first season came out. That, that was always a good sign. And yeah, he was, uh, I think it was Carl Urban on Instagram was posting up photos on set and stuff. So it's exciting. It really is. And uh, yeah, glad you're you're getting in there. Anyway, talk to me when, when you've got to the end of it. And uh, we might even do like a proper in-depth chat about it. Because I think there, there's something in that. I'll talk anyway, to you. Let's talk filmy about our review this week. It's chapter two. <laughs> Something happens to you when you leave this town. The farther away, the hazier it all gets. But me, I never left. I remember all of it. It Chapter 2 is the sequel to It, if the name didn't give it away, which is basically a remake of a TV movie based on a Stephen King novel. Keeping up? Anyway, so this film, the, the first film, was set in 1985, I do believe, about a group of kids who live in a fictional town called Derry. Essentially, there is an evil cosmic being that is... Uh, inhabiting the town it's killing a bunch of kids and uh, it is feeding off them and the kids manage to thwart the thing back into its hole with the understanding that maybe just maybe it will come back because it's on this weird loop cycle and every 27 years it comes back to feed off the living so Basically, Chapter 2 is that sequel set 27 years later. Now, I'm going to go for a couple of bits just to set some groundwork as to why my review is doing the score that I'm going to give it. So, first of all, it's based on a book. In the book, it is a very, very, very long book. And in the the way it flips uh, between the original time and 27 years later, in the book is it goes Chapter 1, Kids, Chapter 2, Adults, Chapter 3. It goes back and forth. And it does the same in the TV show movie adaptation, of Tim Curry playing the lead Pennywise the weird cosmic being in this they actively decided when they made this film to do it in two parts the first part being set in 1985 with a bunch of great actors like these kids that performed in that film were absolutely fantastic we reviewed this uh, back in 2017 we spoke of it very very highly very much a surprise package and because of that performance because of how good that first film was the expectations for chapter two John would you agree it's fucking like high like skyrocketing high absolutely yeah the first one was a massive hit so in this second movie they've decided to first of all obviously they had to recast the kids because they're adults now and they went out and got literal like Mwah, best actors you can find Jessica Chastain, James McElroy, Bill Hader uh, Jay Ryan, just to name but a few and essentially this film takes off 27 years later events are starting to happen in Derry again Mike, if you do remember him he was the kid who had 
the that he was he went to the butcher in the first film and like the flames and and all that stuff. He stuck around in the town and he remembers everything. Obviously knows that this is a sign that Pennywise is coming back and contacts all the other kids, aka the gang from the Losers Club, to say you've got to come back to Derry to deal with Pennywise. Now, all these characters have grown up, they've moved on with their lives to the point where they've forgotten about what has happened in Derry. And there's a reason for that. Pennywise has clouded their judgment. And basically, Mike convinces them all to come back. And as you can tell, they have to take on Pennywise. So let's talk about this cast, because this cast, like I say, is absolutely fucking phenomenal. So you probably have seen Chapter 1, and you may not have seen it recently. So I'm going to basically just tell you what the adult actors are, are taking the roles from what kids. So Jessica Chastain is going to be Beverly, uh, basically the red-haired girl in this, or, or the only girl in this. There we go, it's easy enough. Uh, James McElroy is playing Bill, a.k.a. the kid with the stammer. Bill Hader is playing Richie, a.k.a. the kid from Stranger Things, who was fucking hilarious. Uh, Israel Masfa is playing Mike, a.k.a. the black kid. Uh, Jay Ryan is playing Ben, a.k.a. the fat kid. James Ranson is playing Eddie, a.k.a. the kid who was really nervous and like, his mum was like really controlling and he thought it was going to get cancer every time he touched stuff. And a guy called Andy Bean is playing Stanley, a.k.a. the Jewish kid. There we go, we're up to speed. They're the adults that are playing the kids' versions. Uh, and they do phenomenal performances. Like I generally think their performances is great. Um, but I think the writing lets them down a little bit. So first and foremost, this film is a three-hour fucking movie. Like, in my mind, horror movies need to be 90 minutes out the door because it's all about pacing, it's all about building up, it's all about being that dramatic sort of thing to it. John, I know you're not a big fan of long movies. Like, yeah, a three-hour horror? How does that sound to you? <laughs> it sounds horrible, Flinty. Why do they, why do, they do these? You know, it, unless it's the Shawshank Redemption or the Green Mile and it warrants it. I've got a long gripe about modern movies that truly do not war- warrant the two-hour-plus mark, but uh, that's probably for another day. Three yeah, yeah, yeah horror, definitely. That is not my idea of a, of a good night. No, and you know, bear in mind, the first film was quite long as well. That was two hours 30, I think, like nearly two and a half hours around that mark anyway. Um, so, yeah, you've got potentially five and a half hours worth of storyline and is there five and a half hours worth of material absolutely but does it need to be on the screen i don't know and one of the things which i kind of brushed up against with this film is that it really tries to remind you about these kids these original kids and the way it does that is through flashbacks and that means they get the kids back to record these flashbacks now i will tip my cap to the people that made this film because i generally believed that these scenes they put into the sequel must have been just on the cutting room floor from It Chapter 1 because the kids look identical. And it has been two and a half years. In two and a half years, when you're between the ages of 15 to 18, you change a lot. In fact, they had to digitally change Finn Wolfhard's performance to make him look like how he did in It Chapter 1. If you remember watching Stranger Things from Season 1 to Season 3, the kids have grown up. They've become gangly. They've become you know young adults and everything else in between of that as patronising as that sounds and uh, it's, it's amazing it, the continuity is is absolutely beautiful and the way the the adult versions of these kids like they you can clearly see that James McElroy kind of looks like the kid from there and Bill Hader you can see a world where he kind of is Richie and yeah that's 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 great where this film lets itself down, where I've got this problem. So, ladies and gentlemen, my name's Adam Flint. I had high hopes and they've been slightly dampered. But let me explain as to why. So, 
the first half of this film is brilliant. It is just like the first movie. It, the tone of it is bang on. The only thing is there's an opening sequence that did, I found, very disturbing. Apparently, it is in the book. So, you know, full cards on the table. Not read the book. I intend to when I have a month free because apparently it's a trucking long book. But um, the first opening scene apparently is in the book as well and it is to- told in that way as well. So don't, you know, they're, they're, they're sticking to the source material there. Fair enough. But about halfway through this film, they try and explore different ways of setting the tone, specifically comedy, to a point where, literally, this isn't a spoiler alert, they randomly drop the needle for um, Be My Angel, Be My Darling, like they're doing Deadpool, and it was it took you completely out of the fucking scene, it did not warrant being there, and yes, Bill Hader is a funny man. In fact, he's probably the MVP of this film. Probably the best performance. Him being Richie, like he's he's like, ah, oh, that kid's a funny kid, is he? Well, I'm I'm actually a comedian, so I'm going to bring my my chops to this as well. And he does to great effect. So I can't I can't dispute that part. But the way the tone it gets almost comical. There's literally one scene where they're out the front of the house. The it's chapter one house, and they're back there as adults, and they go. What would we say normally at a time like this? And like they're doing lots of jokes and riffing off it. And it's like, I, I wasn't prepared for that. And it did brush up against me on that. And also, this film goes into... There's kind of like five acts. And essentially, they find an excuse to take each adult version of these kids and put them back in their childhood homes or childhood environments in a nostalgic, I need to go and get something. And, you know, again, without going into story tropes, essentially, it's back. The kids have got to collect a MacGuffin each to put it together to make a super MacGuffin that will stop Pennywise. The clues in the trailer, the clues are all over the poster. It ends. The idea is to kill Pennywise. Oh, by the way, Bill Sarsgaard, fucking amazing. Like, he is the creepiest man alive anyway as Pennywise. And he brings it back again up to 11. Absolutely loved it. But um, essentially, they've got to take these kids, put them back in their childhood environments, and uh, they've got to find something which they'll they'll use to hopefully get rid of Pennywise. And because it's only been a couple of years since the first film, not a lot of time has actually passed in like the public zeitgeist. Yeah, I mentioned the kids have grown up a little bit and all that sort of stuff, and they had to digitally de-age something. But truth, you know, truth be told, a lot of people are still discovering this film for the first time. It's only become actually available on a lot of networks, like on national TV or Sky and things like that, only recently. So for a lot of people, this film feels very new, which means the sequel, in your mind, feels like this is just around the corner. And the truth is it's set 27 years later, and they're trying to give that play of nostalgia, but because it's only been a couple of years since the last film, it felt, it felt tedious. And what they tried to do was basically replay some of the greatest hits from the first film, but crank it up to 11. Because the concept is Pennywise feeds off your fear, and obviously the fear that you'd have as a child is kind of different as an adult because you're now aware of death a little bit more, I suppose. So it felt repetitive. It felt like I've seen this before or I've just seen a lesser version or maybe even a better version um, if you're comparing chapter one to chapter two sometimes. So, yeah, I was a bit disappointed with uh, the length. I was disappointed with the direction it kind of went comedy-wise and I found it a little bit tedious. Although saying that, when I come out of the cinema, I literally rubbed my eyes and I was like, oh my God, was that three hours? It it actually went went quicker. Um, But just another thing as well, just before I get on to the good stuff... um, 
they literally really try and shove it down your throat that these are those kids. James McElroy's bill stammers so much. Like, literally, I, I get what they're trying to say. They're trying to say when he's under stress, like his stammer gets worse and obviously the, the situation gets more stressful, more down the film they go. But it was getting to a point where every line, it was just like, oh my God, I get it. You're the stammer kid. You were the kid with the stammer. You don't have to keep hitting us on the head with it. And that brushed up against me a little bit. But, you know, all in all, I thought the performances were absolutely fantastic. I really did enjoy seeing Pennywise back on the screen. I enjoyed going back to Derry. It just felt like a little bit too much of a good thing. And that's kind of disappointing. They also, in the book, the Stephen King universe, it's all interconnected. Because apparently when he was off his nuts in the 80s, he decided to put this big theory together and fucking stuck to it. They do try and go a little bit crazy and try and explain some of it. But they don't go all crazy which means it just becomes all confusing. So a lot of people walked out of that cinema just going, I don't get it. And when it's supposed to be the conclusion, you probably should explain a little bit more. Whether that's showing us or telling us, I'm kind of indifferent to, but I kind of wanted a little bit more of this kind of crazy external universe because it, Pennywise, isn't just a clown at all. It's a cosmic being from another universe that is literally feeding off of the planet. He was calling himself the World Eater at one point, and you don't understand why, and they, there's just no... Uh, no real explanation to that. So, yeah, this, that's me kicking it. But you know what? What the fuck do I know? I did enjoy this film. A lot of people, though, surprisingly, have not seen Chapter 1 before going in to see this. Highly recommend you do see Chapter 1 because, let's be frank, it's a better film. But, actually, it means it makes a lot more sense, the second film, when you get in there. So I'm going to have to go 3 out of 5. Uh, it is It is not as good as the first one. Although Empire Magazine have... You know, said it's a masterpiece. Uh, I think IGN gave it a seven. The Guardian gave it two out of five. I'm going. I'm going to say it's, yeah, it's down the middle of the row. It's it's good. There's some really good moments. The first half, essentially, in my opinion, is really great. Uh, Bill Hader MVP. Jessica Chastain. I thought she was good, and I just wish she was given a bit more to work with, other than just damsel in distress who's fucked up. Like they they didn't really give her that much of an arc from that perspective, in my opinion. But um, but yeah, you know what. Well, this is still a great film and I do recommend seeing it in cinema and I do recommend if you want to complete the loop just just tamper your expectations slightly it's just the first film was so good the expectations were so high for this one so there you have it 3 out of 5 chapter 2 it ends you lied There has been a fuckload of trailers over the last week, but before we get to the trailers, I want to talk about just some of the news things that have happened over the last week or broke just before the weekend. Um, Hayley Atwell, I, I absolutely love her. I think she's incredible. I I love her in Captain America. I don't think she ever gets enough screen time in the MCU. But also, she was in an episode of Black Mirror, which was absolutely phenomenal. It's really creepy. It was the one about um, the Irish fella who dies and his missus takes his consciousness and puts it in a robot do you remember that one mm -hmm. yeah she really. ah great great actor anyway she is joining the next mission impossible movie or should i say movies because they're filming them back to back with a narrative of they're very much interconnected not much about a character yet but you know what we've got people like elizabeth de Blicky that's been involved uh, uh rebecca ferguson obviously tom cruise simon pegg like the cast of these films are fucking great anyway let alone someone like Haley involved as well so i am really pumped about this i 
I don't know where they're going to go with this because Tom Cruise has literally done every stunt on the planet. So the only logical conclusion is we send Tom Cruise to the moon. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Do you like? Are you a Haley fan? Yeah, definitely. Especially that role in Black Mirror. That's sort of probably what I know her best for. But um, yeah, solid acquisition, isn't it? Yeah, amazing. I just want to hear. I, I just want to. I mean, um, the director James uh, James McCory is so prolific on social media I highly recommend you follow him because he is such a nerd he will literally like he'll happily talk to anyone on Twitter if he's got the time and he he's he's doing this big campaign to get rid of motion blur on TVs and you've got to applaud the kind of nerdiness about it but it's his fucking cause man it's like no I built this film this way and your TV is ruining that because it is doing some weird settings over it I just think you know what you're fighting your crusade and good for you um, anyway, another crusade, which unfortunately looks like it's definitely come to a close. And to be honest, this is the last time I'm going to talk about it on this podcast because I've already talked about this at length and I think people get a bit bored of it. But um, Spider-Man, Sony has said the door is closed for an MCU return. But John Favreau in a recent interview says he is cautiously optimistic. John, I know you're sitting there looking against your chart. There's two charts you have on your wall. One is, can we reverse Brexit and how many days can we till we do that? And the second is... When are we going to get Spider-Man back in the MCU? <laughs> yeah, um, it's such a shame. But John Favreau is <laughs> cautiously optimistic, so you know, you never know, do you? Exactly. Now, I think that's why I like the boys. It sort of turns it on its head, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very much a pastiche, whilst at the same time, just uh, just just poking fun at it in all the right ways. Speaking about John Favreau, have you watched on Netflix? There's this TV show he does called Chef. Oh, oh my god it's so good like is if it? you like food yeah it's really really good so basically he done a film like three years ago which actually watched the film the film's fantastic it's called chef it's about guess what a chef a guy who works in a, a food van and he's basically traveling around america and he cooks scarlett johansson amazing pasta and um, but he, he, the process he went through for that film was he hung around with a chef, become really good mates, and they decided to do a TV show where they just travel around America making food. And that's oh, it. That's, but it's just something really enjoyable about it. I find watching food programmes quite hard because if it's music or if it's visually stimulating or audibly stimulating, that's great. But if it's food, it makes you hungry, right? And then... I don't know about your cupboards, but mine aren't full of the nice stuff that, uh, that they have in these shows all the time. So you end up eating absolute crap. Um, but that's my feeling. I'd like to know what people's feelings. I think it's very love-hate sort of food TV and food shows, but that's my... I'm usually with you, but on this TV show in particular, it's great for filmy people because it's basically John Favreau going through his little black book of like, oh, I'm going to hang out with Robert Rodriguez and we're going to talk about making Sin City whilst we're making pizza. And it's just like, ah. think of it as like a chat show with a cooking element to it. Comedians in cars drinking coffee, but with food. Yeah, yeah but th- this is better. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and not a James Corden insight. So that's uh, I, I highly, highly recommend that. Anyway, uh, something that... Are you a Doctor Who man? No. <laughs> nah, same. Um, but actually saying that, during um, David Tennant's run, when I was at university, I did have a little bit of a binge and I did enjoy it. But when that Matt Smith guy was in, no offence to the guy, great actor. I love him in the stuff I've seen in The Crown and, and a bunch of other stuff, but it just... It, it didn't... It weren't anything for me. Anyway, Doctor Who aside, a former Doctor, Peter, Cad- 
I can't even pronounce this right. Peter Capellini or Capadini. He was basically Capaldi. the old. Peter Thank you so much, <laughs> Peter Capaldi. Um, I should never do like teleprompts, and should I? Um, don't interview him. Anyway, Not don't ever interview him. Uh, but anyway, I know him as the old guy in World War Z. He is joining uh, the Suicide Squad sequel, James Gunn's movie that's in the works at the moment. Uh, this is exciting. I don't know what character he could portray, but this film it it won't quit. Right? It it started out as a yeah, Suicide Squad was its thing, and yeah, we get it about the DC stuff. Let's not beat it up too much. But then you go, oh, James Gunn's involved, eh? Oh, he's hiring some interesting people. Idris Elba, you say. And all of a sudden it becomes really, really interesting. And this is just another interesting take on that. John, are you going to give this a go? Is this the time you become a DC fanboy? Well, I, I am a big fan of Peter Capaldi, actually. Uh, particularly. Ah, oh, The Thick of It. For, Was that his TV show? Yeah. Mostly, yeah. that's how I discovered the dude. I mean, The Thick of It is the most in, insanely funny political comedy if you're into that sort of thing check him out in it absolute potty mouth but um yeah i mean he if he puts his name to something it's usually at the mark of uh, a level of quality so I'll, I'll give it a go flinty that's my promise to you there we go right so about oh a year and a half ago we reviewed the tomb raider reboots we were talking about it in one of our first podcasts actually uh, when we talked about video game adaptations and stuff like that do you remember when we used to do like proper in-depth analysis and stuff we'll get there one day people but um anyway we we enjoyed that remake but uh, basically the long and short of it was it had great moments taken from video games but it wasn't stitched together in a way that made it narratively stimulating enough to make it a classic movie so and I think the general public responded in similar kind, hence why it's taken a little bit longer than it normally would to green light a sequel, but a sequel is definitely in the works. And quite interestingly, Ben Wheatley is going to be directing this sequel, and Elisa, uh, Alicia Vikander is coming back to be reprising the role of Lara Croft. Uh, and I hope Nick Frost is attached to this as well, because he does a, he has like an interesting... He's basically the, guns, like the gun salesman in the first film, which was kind of cool. Uh, but no Rimmer, and I don't think we're getting Rimmer back in this one neither, alas. But uh, you excited for this one? No. I, <laughs> I mean, Tomb Raiders, it seems like the sort of franchise that won't go away, you know, the unflushable. It's kind of, seems like it's just there and it's going to keep coming up every few years. Someone's paying to watch it, um, but I haven't seen a good Tomb Raider movie ever so it just I feel like it's benefiting from a boom <laughs> just a general film boom uh, worldwide mm. you know as a lot of films have sort of that maybe wouldn't have made a grade at one point uh, actually does now because maybe because half of China just goes crazy for this shit yeah um, that's a good and- point that is a good point. I think uh, a billion, making a billion dollars, don't get me wrong, a billion dollars is more money than I've ever seen in my entire life. But it used to be like if a film passed a billion mark, it was like, oh my God, it's fucking gone with the wind. You know, it's incredible. I don't know if Gone Wind ever made a billion dollars, mine. I'm just saying that, <laughs> um, I'm just saying that it was such a, it was such a high bar that only the very elite in terms of success and reach and candor would actually do that. And now it's kind of like a, if a film like it's kind of expected for a massive Hollywood budget blockbuster to do a billion, if it doesn't do a billion, it's deemed as an absolute failure. Which um, Justice League is a prime example. I'm not saying Justice League is a good film, mind you know we gave that a, the score it deserved, but um, that did make like 500 million dollars or whatnot, which 
in a world where five hundred billion dollars is not considered a lot of money, like that's fucked up. Um, so yeah, I, I do agree with you. I, I like I say, I, I stand by my review. Uh, we gave it back in the day. Um, there were great moments, but you took those great moments exactly from that video game. Basically, Tomb Raider got rebooted in 2013 and to great, great acclaim. Like Everyone loved the new direction. It was very much inspired by uh, the new games that are around on the block, stuff like Uncharted and stuff like that. Very much cinematic experiences. Now, cinematic experiences in a video game do not necessarily translate to a great cinematic experience on an actual cinema screen and that is definitely the case for Tomb Raider there were some amazing set pieces but again it wasn't it wasn't flowed or stitched in a way that I think is ready for it yet but Ben Wheeler is a great director so he's obviously got some interesting ideas to go with that anyway let's talk about trailers I was going to talk about the Black Christmas trailer because that dropped and Twitter done what Twitter does but then we went fuck it everyone else is going to talk about it and John suggested we talked about another Netflix trailer anyway and it's been a minute since we spoke about Netflix so John what's this trailer you want to talk about so I don't know if you remember Funny or Die Between Two Ferns with Zach Galifianakis Uh, now I don't know if I pronounce it right oh no Flinny I think I have Zach Galifianakis uh, presented this (laughs) ridiculous web episode 10 minute show he interviews celebrities and he's really outrageously rude to them and it's all scripted and they're, they're in on the joke as well he had everyone he had some absolute corkers using you know his address book so he got some amazing people they completely laughed at themselves so basically this is turning into a movie (laughs) which so it's not just the interviews obviously there's going to be a lot of celebrities and a lot of interviews uh it's also behind the scenes of the show him playing this character of a complete see you next tuesday guy who's just bitter about everything but somehow gets these interviews and the trailer made me laugh in many places it's netflix only but it is out that means you only have to wait till i think next week for it to be out so i highly i think this is going to be a good one um i loved the original webisode series i think we're about to get a genuinely good comedy on netflix so nice what's it called what's it called again it is called between two ferns with nice we should we should bang on to netflix and see if they'll give us a, a screener for that definitely um i'll i'll get top men on it um also another trailer that dropped bad boys for life now this is the film i never thought i would see the light of day i mean we've been talking about this for years martin lawrence will smith obviously reprising their roles of mike larry and the other guy and uh, it was you know they had a time Yes, there were Michael Bay. It was all about, hey, guns, shooting, electric guitars, sex, Will Smith, Porsche 911. You know, it was everything you loved and more. And it was very much a product's time. I loved it. Michael Bay, unfortunately, went on to be even more Michael Bay, which let's leave that there. But the trailer for the long-awaited third movie, and they've confused everyone by calling it Bad Boys for Life, because uh, everyone thinks somehow they've missed a third movie. But anyway, John, are you happy this film exists? Bad boys for life. Uh, it, I mean, the trailer. If that's the best gags, I'm not. I'm not comp- holding out huge hope. Uh, but I'm totally rooting for Will Smith because we spoke about. He needs a want, hit. <laughs> I, I want him to have a hit so badly. I love Will Smith, but I don't want to be watching old Fresh Prince episodes because, that <laughs> because that's <laughs> when I loved him the most. You know Um, because he's such a dude so I hope I've got hope for this but the trailer didn't fill me with like huge excitement 
but I did like the uh, remix of the tune. Ah, oh, yeah, cool. yeah, the, the, the old bad boy for life banger, which I never used in previous films. They used to always just sing um, the Jamaican bad boys reggae song. But um, yeah, something about Martin Lawrence though. He looks like the guy who ate Martin Lawrence in this film, doesn't he? Like I'm not, I'm not digging on a guy. I'm not fat shaming. We, you know, we, we got no hang ups here in this pod. He does kind of look like Big Mama's house, though, now, doesn't he? Like, he, he's gone into that transition. But um, you know what? He, the, I was thinking that. that well, you know when the, the 911 pulls up and you go, that car used to be the fastest car on the planet. In fact, I remember the dialogue of Will Smith literally just going, this is the fastest car on the planet, as he's driving it through in such a fucking dope scene. But uh, now you could probably pick up one at your local <laughs> your local second-hand car dealership for an affordable rate. But um, when he dings it and the dialogue between them, I was like, oh, you know what, the magic's still there. Yes, okay, it takes me a minute to adjust my sets to be like, is that Martin Lawrence? But you know what? Dude's looking good for his age, man, from that perspective. Will Smith somehow has managed to travel back in time with his look, though, because I generally thought at one point he was becoming Uncle Phil. So he has managed to... He's managed to... I don't know if it's just great styling or, like, just however they managed to... Or maybe use some of that Gemini man tech to de-age him a little bit. Who knows? But, yeah, you know what? If you go in with the same attitude that you have for the affection for the previous films, you're probably going to love it. I love the fact they've got the captain back. And he's like he's basically being... Uh, do you remember Last Action... Oh, what's it called? Last Action Hero with the stereotypical... Yes captain who's just like i'm shouting my top off i'm getting mad i can't trust you oh i've got i've got like indigestion i'm gonna drink some pepto-bismol he literally was the personification of those sort of characters i loved it you sign me up i'm sold big will you've got my heel um let's talk about jojo rabbit oh yeah let's talk about taika waitiki uh setting during the second world war about a young boy who has an imaginary friend who's hitler nonetheless what's your thoughts <laughs> We, well, we've been sort of excited about this film, but like, didn't really know how to fill in the blanks. And this trailer sort of fills in a lot of blanks. Amazing cast. So happy to see Stephen Merchant in a sort of comedic role. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's in it. You've got Taika Waititi doing, you know, he's going to be carrying this movie in a comedic way. I think, oh, I can't wait. I think this movie looks hilarious. I think it looks sort of, there's definitely going to be some kind of message behind it and I'm absolutely here for it. Um, And I just, you know, a comedic film about, from the Nazis' side, (laughs) involving kids. (laughs) I think it's a winner, man. I think this is going to be a really great movie. And, you know, we're huge fans of Taiki Waititi. So I think... um, going in with a lot of excitement hopefully not too much excitement but definitely pumped for this one i love the fact that he's obviously he's obviously doing all right at the moment i think he's making bank it's fair to say and he's sitting there going okay for ragnarok done really really well and uh, james gunn my mate close friend of mine just been fired for some controversial tweets but anyway he got his job back but still you know what i know i'm working really closely with disney on a bunch of projects right now but I'm going to make a comedy about Hitler. I'm sure that's going to go down well. But he done it, man, and fair play to him. This looks so funny. I think the charm he has, like, he is, he is generally a funny, funny guy. Like, whenever you like, follow him on social media, he dresses outrageously. He's, uh, he's always, like, 
coming up with hilarious stories on his social media. He is a joy to the world. We need more people like him. And uh, yeah, I he's obviously brought that style of comedy to this. He he posted a video up on um, I think it was Instagram a couple of months ago, and it was someone has dubbed over an old Hitler film, and it was just basically Hitler receiving a note saying what. A Polynesian Jew's going to be playing me in a film? <laughs> it was just like, ah, uh, I love it. He'd done no research for the role. He's famously done an interview about a month ago. And they were saying, oh, what research did you do for the role? And he goes, oh, none. I just think he's a cunt. <laughs> like, literally, that was his response. Well, he's brought, I mean, just from the trailer, you can see he's brought his, like, kind of slightly naive style to playing Hitler. And but I mean why would you do any research really he's it's going to be a complete it's not ultimately about that I guess but no uh, no he's uh, yeah he's just a funny dude I like the fact he's dabbing in and out of acting still. So he, he was an actor before he was a director, or before he was a known director anyway. He was in um, films like Green Lantern, like he was the buddy in that, like the, you know, the I'm the best friend who you forget very quickly sort of role. But um, he's actually, he's been cast in James Gunn's Suicide Squad film as well. I forgot to mention that as well. Yeah, he's in that, um, you know, as an actor as well. So he's still got, he's still got ambitions to be in front of the camera just as much as, behind it and uh, orchestrating it as well so he's having a moment uh, isn't he and we're we're uh, here for it yeah definitely man have you seen um has it the hunt for the wilder people i uh, no i haven't highly recommend it it's so good it's got the fat kid from deadpool 2 in it uh and uh, sorry i don't mean that in a horrible way as mean as a way to describe <laughs> him uh he literally calls himself that in the film so i'm not i'm not being a dick but uh he's he's in that film as well and he is he is trucking hilarious um, anyway while we were briefly speaking about dc let's switch back there for a second uh birds of Tr- uh, birds of prey uh, the emas- the fabulous emancipation of one harley quinn aka the longest film title in history uh dropped its teaser trailer and i think because I didn't see the trailers in front of It Chapter 2, I assume that it was meant to be a teaser stuck in front of that film because there's loads of red balloons, they try and play off of it, and you see Harley Quinn pop up, and she smacks the balloons and say, I've had enough of fucking clowns, and they show very like blink-and-miss-it clips of this film. Uh, Ewan McGregor's going to be the big bad in this, playing Black Mask. If you know your Batman lore, he's basically a gangster who gets his face fucked up and has to wear a black mask. They're very inventive with the names. And, uh, yeah, I'm... You know what? I, I fucking love Margot Robbie. I think she was amazing in... Su- like, she was one of the saving graces in Suicide Squad with her performance. And uh, she... I love the fact that she can... She can be... She can do films like I, Tanya where she's like proper going for it you know it's balls deep acting method getting right in there real gritty stuff and then you know fuck it I will do stuff like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where I'm basically just a dancing girl or I will be Harley Quinn so yeah. I'm, I'm down for this John is this converting you to the fanboy yet or are you like uh, pass well I love Margot Robbie too and I do I, I really rate her as an actor so she brings it she just enhances anything she's in doesn't she she's one of those actors yeah. even when she's not in the greatest movie you come away thinking she's the, she's the good bit uh, she's you know brought it up a notch so <laughs> I think you've just described what this review's probably going to be <laughs> Oh, good. There you go. But uh, anyway, Ewan McGregor, just to wrap off news, he is going to be in the sequel to The Shining, directed by our boy, I can't remember his name, but the guy who made uh, The Haunting of Hill House, one of the 
best TV show of last year. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about this, man. Like the trailer, the I don't know if it's the final trailer, but this is the big trailer. This is the one with lots of stuff in, real Red Room stuff, literally. And uh, yeah, lots of nostalgia, but lots of awesomeness as well. What was your take from the Doctor Sleep trailer? Yeah, no, I'm definitely. I'm. We, we. I mean, we talked about it a little while ago with the uh, first trailer. Was it? There's a lot yeah. of, you know, heartbacks to the original, and I think it's going to pay a lot of homage to that. So I would definitely catch up on the original before, because I think not. Un- we're at a generation now where those classic movies, the older ones, there's so many of them, it, they pass a lot of people by. So if you're younger, if you're our age, The Shining may well have passed you by. Um, so I would, I would catch up on it, and uh, I think this one will make a lot more sense yeah also again i can't remember the director's name apologies and i i can't i can't do the whole google thing whilst i whilst i work because i literally only have one train of thought at a time but uh, the the guy who made haunted hill house and is making dr sleep he also directed a, another stephen king uh, adaptation called mike flanagan there we go thank you very much boy so uh, mike flanagan great director he has made another film previously. Uh, he done it with Netflix uh, called Gerard's Game. We reviewed that as well, and that is really good. And it shouldn't have been good. Like it's just like the premise is basically a uh, woman and her husband go to a cabin. Uh, they go to have some fun time in the bed, and she chains him to the bed. Oh, no, she gets chained to the bed. The husband has a heart attack, and the film is about her. What do you do? You're chained to the bed. Like, you will dehydrate soon. You are hungry. In fact, actually, you're out in the cabin and you can't remember if you shut the front door or not and there are wolves out there. And it's it becomes such an emotional journey for the woman, but it also becomes a fucking thrill ride for the audience because it just makes it dramatic. It adds tension to it. You are against the counter. Because if you don't do anything, you will die. And um, he just he's got such a great way of building that narrative and intertwining stories, as we saw with Haunting of Hill House. And the sequel to that is going to be happening very, very soon as well. So Mr. Flanagan's a busy boy. But uh, yeah, trade up. Can't, been, can't uh, wait. Busily rebuilding the entire hotel set of the original movie as well apparently like obsessively which uh, really which is kind of cool that that'll get you the gig won't it <laughs> yeah all you got to do is just go to any like film buff like uh film buff bar in london because like, the amount of times i've gone into these various like screening places and they've all tried to do their own little version of that goddamn carpet <laughs> anyway first world problems i know a little little violin flint but um, yeah all we had to do is just go film one of those places but the yeah you know, the attention to details there like if you're going to get given the keys to the shining because like you say although a lot of people may have missed this film we all know what that film is we all know what it was based on and we all know it's the master of yeah the master of horror some might say i'd actually agree with that in terms of novels anyway um yeah this is probably one of his masterworks and to be given the keys to the sequel which has literally launched so many careers in that first film like that is a big big task and there's a lot of expectation that comes with that and if you're in the horror world this is like remaking the bible for you people so you know i don't i don't blame him for wanting to make sure that everything to every little detail is there Mm. but with someone like you and mcgregor carrying it you're gonna you're in good hands right yeah i've got i'm quietly confident with this one hopefully very much looking forward to that you sound like me just before it chapter two john anyway (laughs) that's your news for this week (laughs) 
random question. I was uh, doing what I do, managing the Talk Film With Me Twitter account. Follow it, please, on Twitter, at Talk Film With Me. And I noticed Spotify were trying to be down with the kids, and they tweeted uh, something which sparked a bit of a debate, which was interesting, which was, which song could you have a movie made about? Or, sorry, the exact wording was, which song should have a movie made about it? And I responded with a couple of bits. I saw loads of people responding with stuff. I thought, well, this is an interesting topic on the podcast, Spotify, thanks for the content. Um, So... My first thought, and I tweeted this, and a load of people agreed with me, and a lot of people corrected me on something as well. Now, I love the song "Life on Mars" by David Bowie. Like, it's a beautiful song. The fucking piano in that is just absolutely sensational. And there is a narrative in that that song as well. And I just thought, oh, I'd, I'd love to see that. You know, like how they've done "Mamma Mia," which is basically the back catalogue of ABBA taken through uh, a narrative. That last Christmas movie that's coming out at the end of the year, that's basically taking the song Last Christmas and other songs by George Michael and done that. I'd love someone to take Life on Mars and do the same. Now, when I posted that up, a load of people got back to me on Twitter to say, Adam, have you seen Lazarus? My answer was, yes, I actually have. The David Bowie musical, absolutely fantastic. Yes, there's elements of that in there. Uh, I've also said... People tell me, Adam, haven't you seen David Bowie's The Man Who Fell from Fell to Earth? And I was like, yes, actually, Lazarus is technically the sequel to that, but anyway. And then people told me about, you know, the TV show Life on Mars? And I was like, yes, I know, but still, it's a great fucking song, and I'd like someone to do something with it. What was your, like, what, when, I know I probably didn't give you much chance to prepare on this, but what was your, like, you're a music man, so this must be right up your alley. What, what song would you like to see a film made from? Uh, unquestionably, Mambo Number no. 5 by Lou Bates. <laughs> want to know you know that slutter <laughs> absolute man whore i want to i want to know the backstories of all these women that he's just mindlessly cheating on um tried to do mumbo number five in 2019 <laughs> hey not very woke now are we not gonna happen um i'd have to say do you know what i love credence clearwater revival and proud mary i think proud mary's like just rustic american sort of proper old school song i would love to mm love for that one and I love all his political songs I'd love a whole Credence sort of film all about them that would be yeah cool. Green, Green Day thought the same about American Idiot <laughs> yeah, and done yeah, a musical yeah. about it and apparently the musical's fucking terrible but <laughs> mm, yeah I mean it's a touch and go isn't it but yeah I think there's a lot of a lot of good options you could pick any Blink 182 song and just you know that's just the straight <laughs> down the line you've got what's my age again I mean, it's it's, didn't there. they technically do Pop that? Written. I suppose with American Pie, no, the plot's <laughs> the plot's there itself. It's about just ringing up someone saying the state looks down on sodomy. Um, I one this is kind of cheating, but I think this would be a great idea for a film. And that is, you know, right now there's a and forgive me, space nuts out there, because I've definitely got this wrong. But you've kind of got the premise right for this. So there's a probe. I think it was one of the first probes we ever sent out to space, or at least the most successful in terms of how far it's travelled out. And in this probe, we have put in a collection of... And this was done in, like, the 60s or 70s. Again, my dates are completely terrible on this. A little bit of knowledge is a terrible thing, as evidenced by me. Um, they basically filled this this capsule with a bunch of stuff from human history, from humans themselves, and we created a universal language which has some grounded logic in which we believe if beings from another world discovered this we might be able to give a message across which is basically saying hey you know come hang out of us we're cool and uh, we're totally like not dicks uh, ignore donald trump and they uh, they put some music together 
And this music was composed by two amazing music uh, artists, compositionists, whatever you want to call it. And they basically took sounds of the most uh, beautiful things in the world and they made this track. And this track had things like whale music in it, it had the sound of a baby being born, it had loads of things. Now, why this would be an amazing film is not necessarily the music itself, but the story of these two artists meeting for the first time. Now, the only time these two artists met prior to the recording was one one telephone call and they met each other it was a man and a woman and they met each other on this telephone call talking about the things they love about their own lives about human existence itself at the end of that telephone call they arranged to meet after that first meeting they got married there's something beautiful about that and i think that and i'm absolutely flabbergasted a film has not been made of that story have you because they you li- just make that they no, 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 seriously, that is true. That is 100% true. And literally, the catch is, like, they made a mixtape for the universe and and fell in love during that process. And I think there's something fucking beautiful about that. That's a bit deep. I know people are just hoping me to say, can't you do Dirty Diana in a film or something? But the, the, that, I thought that was amazing. And I thought the idea of that would be beautiful. Yeah, man. If someone hasn't made that, then maybe we should, Flinny. A talk film is the original. We know that's the way yeah. Netflix has shown us. <laughs> yeah, and we've got a budget of about £12.50. We'll use iPhones <laughs> and stuff. It'll look like a... Saying that, Zack Schneider's making a load of films in his iPhone at the moment. So it can be done. So anyway, if you can think of uh, songs that you think should make great films or stories behind great songs that would make even better films, then get in contact with us on Twitter at TalkFilmyToMe. <laughs> John, with it being clowns, the focus of the review, I thought I'd do a clown game for us. It's been a minute since we've done a done a game, so I'm calling this one Down to Clown. Uh, it's pretty simple. It, basically, I'm going to tell you some famous film clowns or clowns from famous movies, and you've got to guess the film. So if I said Pennywise, you would say... It. I would have accepted It Chapter 1, Chapter 2, or It, the TV movie. But don't worry, John, we're not that kind of podcast. I'll give you the point. Thank you. So I, I've got a prediction. I predict you might get one or two out of this because, actually, although we all think about clowns, no one ever thinks about the clown's name. Mm. Poor actors that do this. You know what? No one ever fucks the clown. And <laughs> I'm, this is my moment to give them their time to shine. So is this, so, this is the s- actor or the character in the film? The character in the film, oh. sorry. So I'm going to give you the name of the clown character from a famous movie, and you have to guess the movie, or, like I say, I'm not going to be too pedantic. I'm but none of these, but go on. If I hear any typing or any form of shenanigans going on, you will be sent to the naughty step of film Twitter, or I don't oh. know how to describe it, but... Oh, <laughs> oh. Speaking of which, the other day, I literally saw someone posting up saying... Um, people are having a go at me for pirating movies to do my reviews but I can't afford to go to the cinema maybe if you paid on my Patreon I could afford to go it's just like <laughs> it don't work like that you can't break the law for your hobby <laughs> oh. that's like me saying I can't be a good food critic because you guys won't pay me to go to a Michelin star restaurant <laughs> anyway I'll stop before I get I know I'll stop before I get hounded but um, anyway so first one this is a clown called Captain Spaulding. Captain Spaulding. Um, so he's in Rob Zombie 
movies. Um, I'm going to give you the point for that, man. Yeah, he has. He's been in, he's been in two at the moment, and the third one is coming out very soon. Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects, and there's going to be another sequel coming out very soon, but I can't remember the name. I'm going to give you that, man. Rob Zombie Movies is enough. Uh, I'll give you that. What a thing. So there you go. Off, off to a start. Off to a good start there, John. Okay, so next one. The Violator. The Violator. Yes, there is a clown character called The Violator in a kind of well-known movie. People that know this film are going to be screaming it right now. People that don't know this movie go, no. Are we, think, are we talking all horror here? Horror, action. Okay, uh, I've, I have no idea. Go on. It is the Dark, I think Dark Horse, uh, Dark Horse comic book movie Spawn. Uh, do you remember in the early early 90s? Uh, revolutionary in terms of computer graphics. Great oh. acting uh, in that as well. Right. He was yeah. that guy, Spawn, Spawn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that guy. Um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm available for voiceover work. He's got um, an so, face. He has got a very interesting face, very interesting prosthetics. Anyway, uh, yeah, I hope you should get this one easily, okay? It's, t- it's basically a TV show, but it became a movie, so it, it qualifies Krusty. Oh, what's well, the Simpsons movie? Crusty the Clown. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here you go. Two out of three ain't bad. Okay. So, this is kind of a trick because this character was given has has a name, and it was given a version of a name in a particular adaptation. Jack Naper. Jack Naper. Yeah, that was that's the person's name of the clown in question. Oh. I'll give you a clue. Have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Oh, um, oh, we've used I've used that quote on this podcast. I know, um, I know people are screaming right the, now. It's to the Batman. It's um, Batman Returns. No, it is Batman nineteen eighty nine. I'm not giving you that, man. You 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 uh, you were so close, but no. Um, oh. Next one. I, I I don't expect you to get this one. Uh, Randy the clown. <laughs> Randy the Clown. That's the name of the clown. Um, I have no idea. Let's have a... a... Don't, oh, don't you cheat. Right, so it's, uh, from, a, it's from a film called Clown House, uh, early, I think, late 80s. Sam Rockwell played the character. It's a pretty fucked up movie. But I thought, you know what? He went on to win an Oscar, so judge, judge not. Um, and to finish it off, uh, again, it's the clown's called Shakes the Clown. What's the name of the film? Shapes the Clown. Shakes the Clown. That's... Isn't that what the movie's called? Yes! Check out the brain on John from Shakes the Clown. And it was voiced by none other than the guy who would go on to do the voice of SpongeBob SquarePants. So next time (laughs) you watch SpongeBob SquarePants, think of a psychotic, murderous clown. John, you 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 smash that, mate. I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I like my clowns. I'm not one of these people that prejudice against clowns. I was thinking, is the mask? I mean, that's a clown, right? He's a clown. No, it's uh, a guy wearing the mask of Loki, inheriting the powers of the Norse god. It couldn't be any further away from a clown. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I wasn't expecting that depth of knowledge from you right then. But, well, um... Stanley Ipkus is my boy, so don't ever, uh, don't ever go there. <laughs> Uh, so there you go John you know what you are down to clown good work thank you 
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to it, then just maybe you're willing to go a little bit further. If you click on the like, follow, subscribe, whatever button it means, you will get more content from Talk Filmy to me. We have more interviews lined up. I know I promised one this week, but unfortunately, not unfortunately, it was a great fucking interview, but the film in question will be dropping in the near future, and I'm agreeing with the publicists of said director as to when to drop the interview. So that's coming very, very soon. I also will be speaking to someone who literally did cut a trailer for what can only be described as the Bible for Star Wars fans, uh, but I can't go into any more detail than that at this point but again it's all amazing stuff so if you keep following us and keep getting involved with us we get to do more stuff our content gets better you get how it goes anyway john my boy my wingman the guy from episode one up until episode 84 how can people find you dear lords uh you can find me on twitter at descamento great so anyway as mentioned a bunch of cool stuff is coming we might be talking about rambo last blood uh, as which can only be described as taken meets rambo meets he's got to save the kid and uh, a bunch of other stuff in between of that anyway stay filmy till next time bye bye talk filmy to me